Hey, buddy. It's really good to have you, Mark. Um, for those of you who don't know Mark yet, Mark Estes, a um, awesome human being. Let's start off there. Uh, but then also, you know, uh, emergency medicine physician, uh, owner of a regenerative medicine uh, company, um, so many things. I'm going to let the people hear it from you more. But what I'm so excited to have you on here for, Mark, is that idea. We're talking about physical wellness today, right? right? And what's unique about you that not a lot of other people see is you see both ends of the spectrum within a week, right? We're not just talking about, you know, hey, you, you dabble. You, you've seen the Olympics because you've been necessarily, but you work in emergency medicine. No, you you go from one extreme to the other. Yeah fairly regularly. So yeah. I'm really excited for the people to hear about that sure. uh, and to, to hear more. But let's first talk a little bit about you. So what what's the background? What's the story mm-hmm. that got you so invested and such an expert in this field of physical wellness? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Lucas. Um, so like you said, I, I'm an emergency medicine physician um, and have been so for almost 25 years now, I guess. And then uh, kind of recently opened up another uh, practice doing regenerative and restorative type medicine. Um, probably, you know, some of the background in that is having done emergency medicine for so long, we're really, really uh, pretty good uh, doing things like sick care here. And I kind of got a little, a little bit tired of um, of all the sick care, not so much healthcare. Yeah, um, in yeah, our yeah. country. Um, so that's kind of what led me down that road. And then, you know, personally, um, the idea of longevity and being able to, you know, do things with your life. I and mean, I've done, you know, things like, you know, Ironman triathlons or ultra marathons, um, just being able to be functional in life, um, led me into a lot of just personal research, um, and things and, and how one not only lives longer, but lives healthier. Um, and so I try to share that with a lot of my patients in the emergency department, um, and in, in pure in my other, in my other business, um, it's challenging, obviously, because, um, you know, the emergency department is pretty unique uh, milieu to see people in. Um, but I spend a, probably a disordinate amount of time versus other emergency physicians in the ER talking to patients about health and wellness mm-hmm. um, and diet and exercise and these kind of things, which most emergency physicians just don't do. No, oh, sure. Care. A lot of physicians don't do. Yeah, well, uh, and that's the, that's the struggle. You know, people... People in the fitness space complain a lot about like, well, all doctors want to do is prescribe pills. It's like, well, okay, let's pump the brakes for just a second because why are you at the doctor to begin with? It should be, in my opinion, that something drastic has gone wrong. You've fallen off a ladder. I've seen the pictures. Uh, (laughs) And and you are just broken, like physically broken. Or you've had a catastrophe catastrophe of a heart attack or whatever. You've gotten to the point where I always use the analogy, you need a lifeguard. Right, like you're you're past the point of needing swim lessons. You yeah. need somebody to come in and save your life. Yeah. But before you needed the lifeguard, you probably needed the swim lessons. Yep. And so, you know, couple that with the fact that most people want a quick fix. Yep. So what do they want? They want the pills. They yep. want the things that just quickly make them feel better. Yeah. Um, and so you couple, you know, years, twenty five years of doing that. After a while, you're like, okay, I'll just give you the pill because that's I know that's why I know you're here. And that's what I loved about you is you tell me those stories of getting the lacrosse ball out. It's like, do you want a band aid or do you really want to fix this yeah. lower back pain? Yeah, that's right. And so let's yeah. let's talk about that for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that come in with just you know what what maybe the average person would be shocked at what people come into the emergency department for. Um, it is really surprising when I talk to other people who don't do emergency medicine. My dad, my friends. And I tell them about some of the people I see, they're, they're flabbergasted by what folks will come in for, whether it's my back's been bothering me for six months or my knee's been hurting me for a year and a half 
or I've had a sore throat for 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> and they come into the emergency department for these things, as opposed to what you would expect mm -hmm. as a normal, rational human being of, you know, I'm having chest pain, I have abdominal pain, I fell off a ladder, I got hit by a car, whatever. Yeah, that is part of emergency medicine, obviously, but it's a relatively small part of it. And some of that is a function of just people in our society in general. People want a really quick fix. Um, even if, you know, I see people all the time in the emergency department who have an appointment to go see their doctor for their knee pain that's been going on for six months and they have an appointment in three days and they just don't want to wait the three days. Yeah. Uh, they waited the six months, but they don't want to wait the three more days because sure. it's just more convenient to them now. Yeah. But that's a lot of our society in general, mm -hmm. right? It's like mm -hmm. drive through, you know, to get your food, you, you know, text, you don't call you. Everything's instantaneous gratification, right? And so same thing. People are like, hey, it's convenient for me right now just to go to the emergency department. So I'll just... I'll go to the emergency department yeah. um, and, and try to get my, my issue addressed. Um, but yeah, people spend so little time in trying to figure out how to take care of themselves, mm. you know, the educational process. At the end of the day, you know, there's a saying that's used a lot in the military and stuff like that is nobody's coming to save you, mm -hmm. right? You really need to be your own lifeguard, yeah. right? So if you know you're going into the deep end of the pool and you don't know how to swim, that's okay. <laughs> But then go find out how to swim before you go in the deep end of the pool. Sure. Don't just assume somebody's going to be there to pull you out of the yeah, pool. Yeah. And that happens a lot. You know, people come in all the time to the emergency department. I just the other day I had a you know mid thirties individual who um, does seven monsters a day, uh, t smokes cigarettes, and came in complaining of chest pain and palpitations. And I'm thinking to myself. So I said specifically, I said to this individual, I'm like, what is it you're worried about? And they're like, well, I'm worried about my heart. I'm like, but are you? Mm -hmm. Because we know there is irrefutable data. We know that if you smoke, you are much more likely to have coronary vascular disease mm -hmm. and cerebral vascular disease. That is almost a given. So if you are actually worried about that, why are you smoking? Sure. And they just kind of look at you like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like that, that thought process had never crossed their mind. Yeah. And the sad part is, if you're going to go to your physician, your primary care doctor is who needs to be having these conversations with you, right? Not the emergency physician. Correct. I shouldn't be the one having this conversation Correct. with you. Yeah. But I do because I feel, you know, kind of a responsibility as a physician for your overall wellness and your overall health. And if I can get one out of 10 people to not smoke, well, that's one. Better. It's 10%. Better, right? right? It's yeah. progress. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, you didn't hit the nail on the head. It's that that desire for instant gratification over the long term. Mm. And... and Frankly, it's it's an unfortunate circumstance. Physiologically, we're built for instant gratification. Yeah. Where we see blueberries out in the wild, and we go, "That is a source of food, and I'm going to eat it now because I don't know when I'll get it again. That next meal is going to come." That's right. Fortunately, we live in an abundant society. Right. For the majority, not everybody in yeah. this world is is in abundance, but, but most people in this country, most people in this country, right? We we are very blessed, and yeah. so they they struggle with that idea that you don't need to eat it right now or smoke it right now right. or consume it right now because because you're not necessarily in a bad place. But right. our bodies physiologically don't know the difference between stress because I had a bad day at work and stress because I may not eat again in the next three days. So right. when we're stressed, what do we do? We turn to those those comforts, right? right. And that, that can be the unfortunate circumstance. Right. Well, and our society us. and our civilization has outrun our, our evolution, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, we are amazingly constructed. I mean, we are the most complex, fascinating machines on the planet, mm -hmm. the way we work. The idea that, 
you know, you can upregulate and downregulate your thyroid hormone based on the amount of calories that's been presented in the last three days, or that you more efficiently store fat during times of, you know, starvation and you mobilize fat during times of, you know, that you need it. I mean, we are built to only eat maybe a few times a week, really, mm-hmm. and to have to move to find our food. Correct. I mean, that was our, that was our evolutionarily, evolutionary advantage. We didn't have claws. We didn't have teeth. We couldn't run as fast as a cheetah. We couldn't do any of those things. No. What we could do is we could move for long periods of time. We could sweat to cool our body off, and we were smart. Yeah. And because of those things, we became the apex of, on the planet. Yeah. Um, and if it wasn't for that, we, we just, you know, we would just track the wildebeest forever. Eventually yeah. it got tired exactly. and it had to sit down <laughs> yeah. and then we clubbed it to death. Yep. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and that's how we ate. But it yeah. was maybe only once a week or every other week. Sure. Right. And now you can eat, well, you can eat as often as you want. Sure. You know, now yeah. you don't even have to get out of your car to do it. Yeah. Right. Or out of your house. It'll just come to your house. Exactly. Right. So we live in this, this sea of plenty, calorically speaking, and we don't move as much as we're supposed to. And we were designed to not live in a sea of plenty calorically and to move. Yes, exactly. And that is where so much of our health problems come from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So so speaking of which, we're, we're, we're talking about you know sickness. We've already, yeah. already pretty well dove into the deep end on that. But let's backtrack just a little bit and talk. You know, One of the first things I like to do is kind of put parameters around the yeah. conversation. So we're talking about physical wellness. If you had to explain the physical wellness, that concept to you know a sixth grader, a middle schooler, yeah. In a couple of sentences, how would you describe physical wellness in general? Yeah, so I mean, essentially, um, you you don't want to have any significant body dysfunction. So, can I do my daily activities? Mm-hmm. You know, can I get up? Can I take care of myself? Can I walk down to the mailbox? Can I go to work? Can I lift the bag of dog food out of the back of the car? Can I do the things that I need to do on a daily basis? I'm not saying can you go run a marathon. It's not necessary. You you can go run a marathon. You just you know that may be a goal, sure. but it's not something that you have to do for for wellness and to be generally fit and functional. Sure. Um, you know, obviously things like how can we avoid you having hypertension, diabetes, coronary disease, cancer, all these things, because that will make you unwell, mm-hmm. and then you'll require medications or surgery or whatever it may be. Or it may just impact your ability to do simple things like, can I go to the grocery store, get out of my car, walk in and pick up some groceries and walk back out? Sure. Just daily activities. And so that's kind of the the basic level of, of your, your fitness and your goal is, can I at least just function as a normal human on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's troubling sometimes when we see the lack of that in our society. And, oh, and, yeah. And our body, like you said, our body is such an amazing adaptational machine. And yeah. so it will adapt to the positions and the things that we need to do for so long. Yeah. Uh, and then one day you wake up, and I see this, it sounds like an exaggeration, but people who, you know, that are in their 40s and 50s who, mm-hmm. who should still be very functional, who can't navigate a curb right like yeah, they have right. to do something that's special right. to be able yeah. to step up and onto a curb yeah. because they just haven't gone through that range of motion right. in so long and so when you say the ability to perform the basic necessary functions of your daily life yeah. right to to go to the bathroom to yep. eat to um respirate right yep. like all of those things are just your daily basic functions and we're not even talking about like the fun stuff that you want no, to do. no. Like go play or, the, or, or the stuff that you might really need to do yeah. you know god forbid you know you're in a car accident or your house catches on fire and your two kids are in the top story and you're outside in the garage and you've got to go upstairs, you got to find them, you got to carry them out, you know, upstairs, sure. downstairs, like things you may actually have to do to mm-hmm. save your life or somebody else's life. Sure. 
you know, that requires a lot of things, yeah. Very, you know, cardiovascular fitness, strength, mobility, accuracy, like all these things it requires yeah. that you, you might not think is ever going to happen yeah. until it happens. Correct. Exactly. So it's, it's almost to your point that's the daily functional things, but it's also the emergency yeah. things. Like, so I might need to at some point. Right. Right. And so there's a video, a really unfortunate video. It broke my heart to watch on the internet the other day. Um, and it may have been forever ago. I just finally right. saw it, but it was of a, a, a woman with a baby in a stroller. Have you seen this video? Yeah. So um, they're getting, they're putting groceries into the, to the car in a parking lot and the wind started to blow the stroller away and the stroller started to roll backwards and it was rolling towards oncoming traffic, sure. so cross traffic in a road. And the woman turned and realized it and she started to run, but she was very overweight. And when she started to run, she stumbled and fell. And then proceeded for the next, and this stroller was not rolling fast, but sure. for the next 45 seconds almost, she couldn't get up. She, she couldn't get, get off of the ground yep. and from a basic, what we yep. would call a lunge position. Um, and so finally a man saw it and came jogging over yeah. and stopped the stroller. But her baby would have died <clears throat> yep. because she did not have the capacity to get off the ground. And I'm not judging her yeah. whatsoever because she went through her life believing yeah. that that wasn't a necessary thing. She never comprehended that one day yeah. she would have to get off the ground and she couldn't. Yep. But it is exactly what we're talking about. Absolutely. It's the inability to perform basic human functions That's necessary right. to live your life and to your point, which is kind of... Um, a, a kind of an aha moment is to perform things that may come up that you need to be prepared for. And yeah. life can throw a lot of things your way, of course. right? So like, you know, one guy had to run two marathon to tell them about the oncoming right. invasion, right? So yeah. did he, did he know he was going to have to run 26 miles? No, but no. could he? He did. Yeah. I think he died. Later. He died but, right afterwards. <laughs> but, but he died with a purpose. Yep. <laughs> but the point is, is yeah, you'll never know what life's going to throw your no. way. But if you're consistently improving your physical capacity, That's right. you'll be more prepared. That's right. So physical preparedness. And the problem is too, and, and you know, we can really get into the weeds on this, you know, from just a, a, a physical ability standpoint, um, but <clears throat> the things that you can do and you take for granted being able to do when you're 25, 35, maybe even 45 will be things that you can't, you, if you don't do, do it the right way as you age, will be things you can't even dream about doing when you're 75 or 85, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so you have to decide um, how, how long do I want to be able to live what I consider to be a normal life? Maybe you like to play golf. Maybe you like to go hunting, like whatever it may be, right? But at some point, you're physically not capable. You don't have the strength, the the cardiovascular ability, the VO2 max to be able to, you know, walk, you know, at the golf course or sure. to, to go hunting or whatever it's going to be. But um, if you don't do the maintenance throughout your entire life, mm -hmm. you you can decide at 70, you know, I'm going to try to get fit. And we can improve your VO2 max at that age. We can improve your strength at that age, your fast twitch fibers versus your slow twitch. But that's all is improvable at that mm -hmm. age. However, it's a whole lot easier sure. if you started when you were 20s, 30s, and 40s. Correct. You know, we talk about the eight dimensions of wellness, financial wellness. It's it's a lot easier to save for your retirement when you start when you're 20 yeah. than when you start. Yeah. It's just harder because you don't recognize the urgency That's right. at that point. That's right. right. And just like time's a benefit to people, both from a financial standpoint and honestly from a physical standpoint, if you've been training, been eating right, been taking care of yourself, doing sleeping appropriately, all the things you're supposed to do all your entire life, that has a massive benefit Conversely, if you haven't been doing all those things in your life, 
that has an equal or greater detriment. Sure. So if you spent all your money and you decided, I'm 65, oh no, I don't have any money for retirement, you can start, but it's going to be really hard and yeah. you're, you're in a deep hole. Yeah. You, and you, you can get into a physical hole as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the answer is kind of obvious, but I still want to hear it from you a little bit more about kind of where you dabble in terms of what kind of people you see, right? Yeah. So, so when you think about physical wellness, one end of the spectrum, yeah. sickness, one's high-level fitness, yep. where do you typically spend a lot of your time? So I spend a lot of my time at the far end of sickness, okay. right? At the far end of sickness. Literally end-of-life sickness, mm -hmm. right? Literally, I mean, I see people die regularly. Mm -hmm. This is a normal thing. And I, you, you kind of, I don't know if you, I want to say you take it for granted. It becomes a normal part of your life, right? So your average individual... Um, who works at Caterpillar or Wabash or whatever, they work somewhere. Um, if they, A, saw somebody, a coworker, a friend, a family member die in front of them, that would be something they remembered most of their life. Traumatic event. A traumatic event. If they saved somebody, they did Heimlich on them, they did CPR, they put a tourniquet on because they were bleeding, something like that, they would tell that story to their grandchildren, right? To the day they die. And those are things that I do every day. Yeah. Like literally every day, I can't even begin to remember probably, you know, 10% of all the people that I've seen die, sure. right? And or saved, yeah. I, either way. Um, a lot of the ones who die, some of them are just horribly unfortunate and horribly unlucky. Mm -hmm. They did nothing wrong mm -hmm. and they died. They got hit by a car, they got hit, you know, by whatever. They, they had cancer at the age of 32 and they did nothing wrong. There's, there's a lot of things. But most of the people who I see die who aren't kids, aren't pediatrics, right? Sure. Um, most of them, it was, it was a very preventable situation. Now, not by the time I saw them. It was too late sure. by the time I saw them. Yeah. Um, but it was a very preventable situation. It was, you know, we talk about the 53-year-old obese smoker uh, who's hypertensive and diabetic, and he has a heart attack and he dies at 53. And all of his friends are like, oh my gosh, this was, this is so sad. It's so unfortunate. I'm like, it's completely predictable. Yeah. It, how did you not think that would happen? Sure. That was the most likely result. Mm. If he hadn't had a heart attack at 53 or 56 or 62, yeah. and he had lived to be 98, that would be highly unlikely. Be and that would be genetics. remarkable. <laughs> yeah. right? This isn't remarkable that he died. He did all the things. Is it remarkable if you bought a brand new pickup truck and you drove it 75,000 miles and you never changed the oil and the engine blew up? Yeah. Would this be shocking? Yeah. Of course it's not shocking. Sure. You knew that was going to happen. So we change the oil in our pickup truck when we yeah. buy it. But we don't change the oil in ourselves. Yeah. We don't take care of we don't. We do more maintenance on our house, our lawn, and our car than we do on us sometimes, yeah. which is sad. So Most yeah, I, I see the far end of the spectrum. And the, the really sad ones, the really sad ones are not necessarily the ones that die. Um, but things like, you know, so let's say you've got a, you know, 55, 60-year-old um, or even a 40-year-old morbidly obese, sick individual who, let's say they weigh four or five, 600 pounds. They sit in their bed or their, or their recliner at home and they end up having a, you know, a stroke or they get an infection and sepsis. And they end up sitting in their bed and in their recliner, in their stool and in their urine for sometimes days until somebody finds them and brings them in. And they're frequently not dead, mm -hmm. but they've been, you know, they're dehydrated. They've got rhabdomyolysis from muscle tissue breakdown. They've been sitting in their own stool and urine for days. They've got so sores on their body. I mean, 
can you imagine a more, you know, kind of uh, bottom of the spectrum yeah. individual that you couldn't physically get out of bed or you fell in, sure. your, in your house sure. and you, you didn't break a hip, you didn't break your leg, you just don't have the strength to get up from the floor. Yeah. And you laid there for days. Yeah. Um, it's, that's sad mm-hmm. that the human can get in that condition. Sure. But it happens all the time. I yeah. see that every week. Yeah. That's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. It is unfortunate. And, and one of the things that in the fitness world I struggled with, because I try to be an extremely empathetic human being, right? right. I try to see it from everybody's point of view. And so, again, it's not as much a judgment of those people as much as a, what got them there, right? And, right. And, and one of the big pushes in the fitness world for a long time was the... the um, the opposite of body shaming. So like body love, right? Like, sure. Uh, so people who are, you know, Hey, I'm overweight and I'm okay with it. And yep. I'm, um, I can eat whatever I want and I don't have to feel guilty. And sure. Like that. And what, and so people would ask me like, what are your thoughts on that? Right. And so to me, it's not as much like, okay, let's not look at the, the person having this conversation. Let's look at the concept. Let's yeah. look at the conversation. And so they would ask me like, do you think that's healthy? And it finally dawned on me at one point I said, it's, it's what's happening in that person is, is they are over endorsing their mental health at the sake of their physical health. So what they're doing is saying, I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel ashamed of who I am. And so I'm going to say, it doesn't matter what I do with my, my body, it's my body and I can do whatever I want with it. And I'm not going to feel bad and I'm going to be happy with who I am. And I think that is powerful. Like if, if you're 30 pounds overweight, but you're happy with who you are, that's great. Like be you, be happy. But I will argue that you are also physically healthy because at that point we're talking about things like, are you diabetic? Right. Are you, are you at a higher risk for cardiovascular disease? All of those things. So I would tell them, Yes, they are mentally healthy. And, and to be honest, a lot of the individuals who are going through that probably also aren't, aren't mentally healthy. No, they they're are not. They're struggling emotionally. That's right. Right? They're still, they still are feeling guilty, yeah. but they're, they're over-presenting themselves as feeling happy with who they are. Right. Um, but if they are happy, that's great. Great sure. for them, right? Fair. Live their life. Yeah. But I would, I would challenge that assumption that it is also physically healthy. And yeah. so that's something that I that I had a little bit of an aha moment is let's let's separate those two so that we can treat them as they are, which is if you're going to talk about physical health, let's talk about physical health. If right. you're going to talk about mental health, let's talk about right. mental health. And as long and if they're cognizant of the results, yeah, right, they know that they may die. You, you know, you're 50 pounds overweight and mm-hmm. you're you're diabetic and your cholesterol is high and all these things, and you might die, you know, mm-hmm. at 62 instead of 82. Sure, but you're you're truly happy with that. Okay, I can tell you as being as having been at the bedside for hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of people dying in the last 25 years, rarely at that point in time were they pleased with their previous choices. Yeah. Rarely. Yeah. They're almost never they like you, dude, it was a good run. I know I'm 52 and I enjoyed smoking every one of those cigarettes and I enjoyed all those McDonald's hamburgers and I'm cool with the fact I'm dying today. Sure. That almost never yeah. happens. Yeah. Right. But if you felt as bad as you will feel towards the very end of your life, those last three months or three weeks or whatever, sure. during the time you were you know, not exercising, you were eating horrible, and you were smoking or drinking too much or whatever, if you felt that bad then, you wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
But you no. don't feel that bad then. Yeah, exactly. It, it would almost be, um, you know how they have those birthing suits that men can wear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's almost like, how do we create one of those? Yeah. How do we create the cardiovascular yeah. disease chest pain yeah, suit to let right. people know, like, this is what you... Yeah. And, and the quality of life is such a struggle as well. Because cause to your point, th- so many people, they argue, like, you know, I'd rather be happy than healthy. And it's like, do you really fully find joy or happiness every time you eat something that right. is unhealthy for That's you. Right. And, and so to, to, I love pizza. Of course. I love hamburgers and cheeseburgers. Absolutely. I, I love them I'd more. I'd love to eat those all the time. Yeah, I love them more because I don't eat them all the time. So when That's I right. eat them, I can savor them a lot more. Yeah. And so you almost get more of a benefit from a scarcity, right? That's right. Like when it happens, it's more meaningful, right? right? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's right. a general... And we'll generally seek out things that make us feel good and we'll generally avoid things that make us feel bad. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you eat your pizza or your cupcake or whatever it's going to be, and it does make you feel good. It stimulates, you know, receptors in your gut. It stimulates receptors in your brain that are equivalent to opioids. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel good. And, you know, the CrossFit workout I did the other day or the intervals I'm going to run later today, I will not feel good while I am doing <laughs> not that. Not at the moment. No. It's going <laughs> to suck while yep. I do it. Yep. However, I will feel great when I'm done sure. with it. Sure. Both from a sense of accomplishment or just from the dopamine that's left over after the, you know, the exertion and the fact that I know that I'm, I've done what I need to do to maintain fitness today and get fitter today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's a big part that a lot of people struggle with is that that instant gratification over the delayed onset gratification. But people ask all the time, like, how could you ever enjoy running? It's like, well, at some point it starts to become, I appreciate the accomplishment. I appreciate that I did something because there are days, you know, I work out. A lot, and there are days where I don't want to do it, but the simple fact that I did it, even yeah. though I didn't go as hard as I could or yeah, as strong right. as I could, whatever, you did it. I did it. You and showed that, up, and that is where the mental side comes yeah. into play. Now we're bleeding into mental Sorry. health a little bit. It's okay, no, because I it's, see a lot of mental health in the ER too. It, obviously, oh, absolutely. There, it's it's almost inconceivably interconnected. Absolutely, right? and so that's something. That's one of the reasons. Almost every one of my guests, I had another guest on not too long ago, Joe Indiana, who. Um, we did the same thing. He talked about occupational wellness, but but bled into that is obviously financial wellness and emotional wellness yeah, for because sure. you can't can't separate them. No, it's hard. But if you can better understand the importance of them, like right. just a moment ago when we talked about physical versus mental, if you can understand the differences, then you can start to say, I can be mentally healthy or mental slash emotional healthy and physically healthy, right? Right. And they'll benefit each other. Yeah. So. So you obviously work a, a huge part in the sickness in. Now yeah. you obviously too dabble in the in the fitness, both with yourself and doing all the Ironmans that you've yeah. done. And and obviously we won't have today to to dive into all the things you've done. We'll do another podcast just to talk about the awesome stuff that you've done in your life. But you dabble into the the, the fitness in. We'll get to there in a second. But what general qualities of an individual who is sick, physically sick, and we'll talk about kind of the the very lowest end of that spectrum. We've talked a little bit about it already. Yeah. What are some of the general qualities of an individual who is absolutely sick in the physical wellness space? So barring just horrible misfortune, mm-hmm. you know, you're yeah. 28 and you get diagnosed with breast cancer, sure. right? You did nothing wrong. Yeah. You just got it, right? But barring that, your normal thing, the, the four horsemen, mm-hmm. so the things that take most people in this country are uh, atherosclerotic coronary disease, uh, metabolic disorder like diabetes. There's neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's and that kind of thing. And then there's cancer. Those are the big four, right? And most of those, with probably the exception, and there's some data on this one of the Alzheimer's, but the other three, without a doubt, are all 
very much, if not avoidable, highly preventable, mm-hmm. right? And so um, on either side of the spectrum, both those who are, are fit and healthy and those who aren't fit and aren't healthy, the characteristics are essentially the same. It's just that you either display more of one or less of one, basically. So, you know, one of the overwhelming things is self-discipline. Um, people who have self-discipline um, and personal self-accountability um, tend to be healthier. I rarely run into people who are very motivated and self-disciplined who are horribly ill, mm-hmm. barring the, you know, the weird tragedies, right? Sure. Um, but you're rarely going to run into the guy that, you know, smokes and drinks too much and, you know, is overweight and diabetic and all those kind of things. It's just less common. Um, and then also the folks that understand the benefits of delayed gratification versus instant gratification um, and the people that are, are able to kind of give some, some real introspection and thought to where do I want to be in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Because that's what we're talking about in your lifetime. We're talking about where are you going to be in the next 50 to 70 years, right? The average person in this country is going to live to be about 72 to 75, somewhere in there. Um, what most people don't know is the last five to 10 years of your life in many people, the average person in this country, aren't that great, right? You're going to the doctor a lot. You're not able to hop on a plane and go see your great grandkids or whatever. Um, you're just not able to do the things that you want to be able to do. Um, and so there are ways to move that good last decade to the right, and the people that are focusing on that tend to be highly motivated, self-disciplined, self-learners, um, want to learn about how to do those things. And the people who don't, and I don't ever like necessarily use the term lazy. It's easy to use the term lazy, right? It's not necessarily lazy because maybe they get up every day and they go to work at 5 a.m. and they work till 5 p.m. and you know they're a construction worker, whatever it may be. They mm-hmm. may not be lazy, but they lack self-discipline and personal accountability typically in their own personal life, sure. um, their own personal health mm-hmm. at least. They may be doing everything else, they're paying the mortgage, paying the car payment, doing everything else right, but they're not taking care of themselves. Yeah. Um, and just like when you're you know, saving for retirement, one of the rules is you pay yourself first, right? You'll put your money away. Same thing with this. Pay yourself first. Take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking enough water? Are you eating things that are actually healthy? Um, you know, are you moving? These are the kind of basic things. And people that are on the sick end of the spectrum, they just don't do it. Yeah. And they sometimes they do it because they don't. They lack the resiliency when things get hard. When the day gets hard. I mean, all my shifts in the are twelve hour shifts. Mm-hmm. So the average person in the country doesn't work twelve hour shifts. Correct. They work eight or nine hour shifts. Right. So I work twelve hour shifts every day. I still come home and get 30, at least 30 minutes you know, of a run or a lift or something in, right? So there's, you, you can do it, but am I tired at the end of the day? Yeah, uh, sure. If I was out of shape and unfit, would I be more tired at the end of the day? Yeah, yeah absolutely. right? Yeah. So that's what I tend to see people lacking is, is just the, the self-accountability and the self-discipline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to your point, I think, and that's something that I hope this work allows us to do by doing these interviews and creating these continuums is is to help people give them that guidance. Because some of it is ignorance. Some of it is, oh, of is just literally, I don't know what I don't know. That's right. And so, and I don't mean ignorance in a negative term, just I'm unaware. That's that right. Well, no, you do mean ignorance. It's ignorance and not stupidity. Correct, right. exactly. They're not yeah. stupid. They, yeah. they could be highly intelligent. Exactly, yep. They They're just ignorant don't... on this subject matter. Correct, exactly. And so that is my hope is to, you know, next better exists because we want to help people take those small, I mean, micro steps. That's right. Right, like... 
okay, you walk a hundred steps in a day. Yep. Let's walk 200. Yep. Double the steps. Yep. And that literally means walking around your house one more time. That's right. Right. And so, um, but to your point, if I'm not aware that such small acts can make such tremendous results, yep. then it's probably not going to happen. There's a guy named Andy Galpin who um, does muscle physiology. And he he talked about one of his clients. He, um, The guy had a very regular schedule. And one of those parts of schedule was going to McDonald's every morning to get breakfast. Sure. And so McMuffin, hash brown, yeah. orange juice, right? Absolutely. Great choices. And the guy said, Andy said, you know, Let's instead of let's not get rid of it because yeah. getting rid of an entire habit is, is very challenging. Yeah. But instead, let's take one less bite of your hash brown. Okay. Every day, one less bite. Fair enough. And within months, he had lost like twenty pounds. Right. Yeah. Um, some of these numbers may be a little off, but but the point was is that such a small change in what we do every single day yeah. can have tremendous impact. So there's a um, um, William Brailsford, um, who's the principal who leads uh, the Ineos Grenadier cycling team, which is a Tour de France cycling team, a world cycling team. So he took over at the time, which was the British cycling team and Team Sky back in 2005. And at the time, they had not won a, a gold medal in the Olympics in 100 years, mm-hmm. and they had not won the Tour de France ever, a British team, right, or a British guy, uh, rider. Um, and so uh, William Brailsford, who now is Sir William Brailsford, believes in what are called marginal gains. And if you can get 1% or one-tenth of a percent better every day over the course of a year, that's massive improvement, right? And it can be the little things. I mean, they did the silliest little things. Like they tried, you know, 10 or 15 different muscle bombs to figure which one worked better. They got all the cyclists their own individual washing machines on the bus instead of one washing machine, which reduced the number of saddle sores that the cyclists had, which meant they had more power and more output. And next thing you know, they're winning the Olympics, they're winning the Tour de France. They won five Tour de France's in a row in the course of seven years. They went from never winning it to winning it five times. Like, that is unbelievable. It's all marginal gains. Yeah. You're not going to decide today, you know what? Today, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to lift, I'm going to run, and I'm going to eat salad all day or something like that, right? Yep. Um, and then tomorrow, you're not going to wake up and be Matt Frazier. Yeah. It's not going to, that's not how it works. But you didn't go to bed, Matt Frazier, and wake up fat and out of shape either. Yeah. That happened over time. Sure. It's going to take time to go the other direction. Yeah. But you have to have the patience and be willing to put the effort in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another part of it too is because people will say, well, you know, I, I don't care about running. I, I never, I don't want to run. That's okay. okay. That's don't. okay. Let's figure out something that aligns with the other aspects of your life. Right. Right. Like, can you take a walk with your family yeah. after dinner yeah. to to connect more? Right. Right. And so yeah. that's something I do a lot with my clients is how do we, how do we, stack yeah. a couple of these different Absolutely. habits to benefit all of our different 100%. aspects of wellness. Like I love to read, right? I can't get enough data. Um, and But I don't have time to dedicate just to reading. Mm-hmm. So I, I listen to one book a week on Audible. So I do 52 to 60 books a year. And I do it when I drive to work, when I drive home from work, when I run, when I lift, when I'm outside taking care of the yard, whatever. Because that's a way I can get two things done at the same time and I can continue to learn without sacrificing my workout time or something like that. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. there are ways to do it for sure. So so we talked about general qualities. You talked about the four horsemen and the absolute sickness and and what you feel is a big part of that being a lack of self-discipline, a lack of self-accountability. Um, if you had to describe, and this is one of the challenging parts of these interviews, is if you had to describe absolute sickness in the physical world 
in like a one or two word term, what would that be? Mm. Um, I would say utter physical dependence mm. on another individual. Mm. Um, you know, there are people that we admit to the hospital or that are in a nursing home who were it not for the, the, the caregivers in the nursing home or the nurses in the hospital or whatever, they literally would just die. Yeah. They would just die, cease to exist, right? Um, you know, it could be the 95-year-old. Fair enough. That person's had a good run. That's kind of the end of life. That's how it works. Or it could be the 45-year-old who had a stroke, mm-hmm. um, you know, or is on dialysis. And if they don't get it, they die. So they're yeah. utterly dependent on somebody else for them to, to live. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about a two-year-old or a two-month-old. These are different things. We're talking about adults. Correct. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, almost sounds like you're saying physical incapacity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like like a lack of capacity in your physical like abilities. Yeah. You literally will die if this individual or potentially this machine doesn't keep you mm-hmm. functioning. Yeah. And the challenging aspect of that, since we're bringing it up, is we as a species are built upon helping each other right sure. like like there's we're social soci- yeah we're very social yeah. very societal yeah and so you look at like cultures where there's three generational homes i love this concept yep. we should do it more in america because in, in the united states it's all about me 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 me, yeah. me. like i don't need anybody else yep. yada yada well you know nobody goes like <laughs> i tell people all the time it's a little bit of a shock factor saying this but like if you think that anybody got anywhere they wanted to be in life without somebody else's help, leave a baby in a room by itself see and, how that works. and see how that works, nope. right? Like nobody in the world. Nope. Now, you may have had a horrible upbringing. You sure. may have been orphaned or, or abused, whatever, but you got to where you are because of other people's help. Now, all of that to be said, society is built upon helping other people. So sometimes the challenge is... is we, you know, like my mother, my mother struggles a little bit with ambulation and so getting around and so people, you know, give her arm and sure. stuff. And when she's around me, she knows that she has to do it on her own. And people might look at me and go, what a jerk. And I'm like, no, because no. I understand that at the end of the year, we're going to go to Disney World and my mother wants to be a part of that yep. and to help her all the time yep. will deprive her of the opportunity to be mobile on her own. That's right. Which then reduces her quality yep. of life because not, nobody's going to be there every single moment when she needs us. That's right. So it's that balance, yep. right? Because there are times where I see an elderly person and I'm like, I'm going to go help them, sure. whatever, with their groceries yep. or open the door because it's a respectful thing of to course. do. Um, but then there's also that other half of the coin, which is yep. we need to be able to do it on our own. And to, the, to that point, um, so my father has recently moved in with us. So he lived in California um, and we moved him out to live with us in, uh, in November. Um, and, and dad's developed a little bit of Parkinson's disease, um, as well. And he was diabetic. Um, and so he's now lived with us for seven months. Um, as of May, he was no longer diabetic. Um, so his diabetes is gone and people are always shocked. I tell patients in the ER all the time, we can make your diabetes go away. If you're a type two diabetic, 90% of those people, we can make your diabetes go away and you won't have to take insulin or pills or whatever. Right. And, and all that, all we did was basically dad's working with a personal trainer, dad's eating what we eat now instead of, well, I'll say most of the time he cheats. Uh, at lunches, sometimes he cheats. But it, it, like to your point of one less bite of hash brown, he's eating healthy dinners every night, which previously he probably wasn't eating healthy dinners every night, right? And so he's lost 28 pounds 
His A1C has dropped back down. He's not diabetic anymore. He's off of his diabetes medicines. He feels better. He's moving better. When he falls, because he falls sometimes, he can get himself up off the ground. These are basic functional things. And you're like, oh, well, how come you're not helping him off the ground? Because he needs to be able to do it on his own. Correct. Right? That's what puts you in case I'm not there. Home. Yeah. That literally, what puts you in a nursing home is, well, what I tell people is sitting all the time. But yep. it's it, it, the lack of ability to get off of the ground. Because yep. as soon as you do that, you have to have people around you constantly to monitor yep. you. And so what makes us not be able to get off the ground? Usually a lack of strength in our legs and yep. a lack of mobility in our hips. Yep. What causes that? Sitting way too much. So well, that's a whole other story. Look at the book Desk Bound by Kelly Starrett. I'll put that in the notes. Um, but it, that is what's putting us in the nursing home. And so to deprive somebody the opportunity to do that because yeah. you're constantly helping them up. Now, I'll help them up, right? Like I'll, I'll help Correct. them get up. I'm not going to leave them on the ground. And then I'm going to go show them how to do a lunge. Correct. <laughs> so Correct. yeah, there's a difference between completely yeah. and utterly just uh, abandoning people right. versus not giving them the ability yeah. to lean on somebody That's right. all the time. I'm happy to teach you how to fish. I'm not going to give you the fish every day. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's the that's the qualities of sickness, right? Yeah. We talked about and, and kind of the definition of, of what that that end of the spectrum yep. looks like. Yep. Let's take it to the other end of the spectrum. Yep. And what I love about you is that you're you're you play on both ends of that spectrum, right? Yep. Um, probably seeing one makes you want to avoid it. Oh <laughs> so yeah, for sure. Good motivational tool. So let's let's take a look at the other end of the spectrum, which yeah. is absolute fitness. Yeah. What is that? What does that look like? What are the general qualities? Of so the qualities tend to be similar, right? Just like it's a spectrum of wellness and or sickness and fitness, mm-hmm. it's a it's a spectrum of of motivation and self discipline and personal accountability and all those things as well. Um, <clears throat> you um, you have to be willing to put the work in, mm-hmm. um, and so many people aren't willing to put the work in. And like to your point earlier, you said you know I just want a pill for it. Right? It's easy, right? Um, here's the funny thing. So if we look at all-cause mortality, so in other words, in any given year, if you take a 52-year-old female, any given year, there's a percentage chance that that individual is going to die that year. Now, it's not, it's not 90%, right? It's a low percentage, but, and it can be from all-cause. They could get hit by lightning. They could get cancer. They could die from a stroke. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why they died. They died. All-cause mortality. And so... We know that an individual, and we have to get a little bit into the, to the weeds here, a little mm-hmm. bit physiologically. We know that an individual um, who is in the bottom quintile, so the bottom 20% of VO2 max, which is a, a measure of how well you extract oxygen essentially from the atmosphere and, and, do, and make energy from mm-hmm. it. Cardiovascular fitness is an easier way to probably say it. Sure. Um, if you're in the bottom 20%, and I compare you to somebody in the second 20%, just one quintile higher, the bottom 20% person is, has two times the all-cause mortality in a given year. If you compare them to somebody that's in the top decile, so they're in the top 90% for age, for their VO2 max, to the bottom quintile, there's a 5x, five times, not 5%, five times higher likelihood of death compared to the person who's more cardiovascularly fit. And so, but to get cardiovascularly fit, you have to do work, right? You, it just doesn't happen sitting in a chair. Correct. You have to do work. Um, and no matter what you do, there's a decline in your VO2 max as you age. It just is physiological. 
Starting at about the age of 30, you have somewhere between a 6 and 13% decline per decade in your VO2 max. It's just going to happen. But the harder you work, the more you train, the you can make that 3% yeah. you know, or 4%. It's going to happen. It's going to go down. My VO2 max isn't what it was 10 years ago probably. Yeah. But I'm still in the top 90% for my age. Sure. Um, and so the people that are fit, that you know, the qualities they have is they realize that it's going to take effort. It's going to take, and they're not afraid to work. Yeah. They're not afraid to, to, to be fair, they're not afraid to, you know, suffer a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean necessarily even suffering from, you know, uh, the, the workout. Maybe they're, all their friends went out for beer and pizza and they decided to have water and not beer and one piece of pizza instead of five. Yeah. And that's a version of suffering yeah. um, because they wanted more, but they didn't. They yeah. had some, they, you know, denied themselves. That. Suffering even could be a strong word, sacrifice. Sacrifice, right? like sacrifice right. to, a, yeah. to, to a degree of something that you didn't need to begin with. Right? That's right. It's not like you're sacrificing a, a child. Like you're not giving away your no. children to somebody. No, right. I, like it's something you didn't need to be. Yeah, you didn't need there's, the beer. There's there's a concept in the Japanese culture called harihachibu. I probably said that horribly. I'm from Indiana. Forgive me, but. Hari Hachibu is this idea that you only eat until you're 80% full. Yeah. And so there's literally, like, they say it before their meals because that is such a powerful way that they have, through the eons, That's right. determined that it's a way to eat healthily. Like, you yeah. only eat until you're 80% full. Like, you don't right. stuff your gills. Right. Um, this is from a book called Ikigai, which is all about the blue zones in Japan, which are, you know, the highest level centenarians. Um, I'll put that in the notes too, but like, and they have all these different, like the people who have, uh, the people who live over a hundred years also have their own gardens because they yep. know where the food is and they, they have to move to, yep. to they take have to get care it. of it. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> they, have to, they have to tend it, right? right. Um, but they also have societal um, structures so that when, it's really cool, there's no, there's no governance to it or whatever, but there are groups of people where if somebody's fence blows down, they all just pitch in and help pay for the fence. Yep. So their social wellness is yep. powerful. So it's so neat that the con, they didn't talk about the eight dimensions of wellness, but it's it's such it's yeah. so powerful it's ingrained there. in it exactly but to your point it's it's that willingness to be a little uncomfortable because that's yeah. where your body adapts that's, that's right. where you you see changes that right. are for the benefit and to your point earlier the body is an amazing adaptational machine mm. like could you imagine if i lifted weights all the time and never got stronger like right. i was just born as strong as i was ever going to be right but no your body is designed to adapt. if i push it if to, i challenge it stress. even to a little bit and yep. stress it it goes i need to get better that's right um, and we can do that there. We can do that in all aspects of our fitness. Right. And so, yeah, it does. It doesn't have to take much, but it does take some. Right. I was a. Uh, I was at a, a SWAT conference um, in uh, in New York a year or two ago, and there the keynote speaker was a relatively famous U.S. Army Ranger um, who's written a couple of books. One called On Death, and one called On Dying, uh, On Killing, On Death, and On Killing. Mm. Um, and so there was, I don't know, there's a hundred SWAT officers in the room and we're talking about, you know, different concepts and, and, uh, his, the concept of, um, becoming comfortable being uncomfortable, which is something that we say all the time. Right. And so I, you know, he, he said, who's, who here's familiar with this concept? And I raised my hand. He's like, why, why are you, and, and what does it mean to you? And I said, you know, I choose to do things like Iron Man or, or a hard workout or whatever, and I, I choose to to be uncomfortable and I'm become comfortable being uncomfortable because I, at that time I get to choose the parameters and I get to choose the start and stop times. If I'm going to go do ten intervals today and for some reason I sprain my ankle on the fifth one, I don't have to do the other five. If it's just that it sucks because it's hot and I'm short of breath, well then I need to suck it up and do it. I need sure. to be uncomfortable, be uncomfortable. 
Because at some point in your life, you will not get to choose the start and stop time and the parameters. Um, you will be uncomfortable at some point. You may herniate a disc in your back. You may blow out an ACL. You may, you know, whatever. You may have some illness or some injury. Or you may get fired from your job. You may get fired from your job. Yeah. Your, your wife may, may leave you or your husband yeah. may die or whatever. You're going to be emotionally or physically uncomfortable at some point, And you don't get to say, you know, I'm not going to run the last three intervals. Yeah. You don't get to stop the discomfort. Correct. And so if you're never familiar with being uncomfortable and you're not comfortable being uncomfortable, you're going to suffer a lot more yeah. during that time frame. Yeah. And for everybody who's listening, yes, he is a SWAT member. Uh, <laughs> I had to throw that in there uh, because what aren't you, right? Uh, that's a shorter list. But to your point, so I, I did a, a one of my Spartan races was a beast, and I was it, you know, 13 miles, obstacles, yada, yada. Yeah. It was in Indiana. It was in September, so it's not cold. And I was not trained for it at all. I started to train with a guy who's going to be on here later, Pat, Pat Flannelly, um, retired chief of police. And we started training pretty well, like on Saturdays together. And then he just, we just stopped. Like he didn't, like we just couldn't make it work anymore. Yeah. And I'm a very social guy, you know that. So I was actually just doing it so I could hang out with Pat yeah. and, <laughs> and train and do something fun. So I got to it and I'm like, I was not trained. I was not prepared. So I was just like, I'm just going to go. And I was, I literally, shorts, socks, shoes, no nutrition, no water, nothing. It's going to be fine. <laughs> it's gonna, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> 10 minutes in, third degree sprain in my ankle. Like, rolled yep. it, yep. popped everything, yep. rolled on the ground, oh, just, and so I get up and I'm huffing, I'm breathing heavy because it's, I'm in pain yeah. and I start hobbling a little bit and I'm like... I'm, I'm sorry, I start to run through this mind. I'm like, okay, where's the medical people? Like, do I go backwards or forwards, whatever? Right. And I just stopped for a second, and I just said, you're not going to die here. Nope. You're you're not going to, like, you sprained your ankle. It's going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to hurt. You, you it's going to hurt to quit. You may do some more damage. Uh, but, but I'm like, at the very minimum in this situation... You're gonna get. You're gonna sit down in some shade. Somebody's gonna run by and say, "Do you need help?" You're gonna say yes, and they're gonna bring a medical Absolutely. cart, and you're done. Not gonna die. Yep, you're not gonna die. But w what happened? What what I what I recognize is exactly what you're saying is this is an opportunity for me. Yeah, I could quit, and I could choose not to, so that one day when I'm hiking with my ten year old son and I sprain my ankle. And we are five miles away from the nearest town. Yeah. And nobody's going to walk and by. Nobody's going to walk by. Nope. I can say, if I can do that, yep. if I can climb over walls and do monkey bars and crawl through the mud with a sprained ankle, yep. then I can go, yep. uh, then I can handle that situation, right? right? Because there's going to be a day where I don't get to choose. That's right. And that day I got to choose and I chose. Now, am I recommending anybody do that? No. <laughs> but, but I am recommending that people recognize the power from getting to choose your suck, yep. right? Like yep. you get to choose those moments when they come and you get to choose how you handle them. And, and you get and, to explore what happens, yeah. right? How you feel both emotionally, you know, physiologically, like how, you know, you're, oh my God, my heart rate's 182. Like, okay, you're not going to die. It turns out you're not going to be able to keep it there for very long. Yeah, and you're going to end up walking. Sure. But okay, yeah. you're walking. Now you're still walk. moving forward. Yep. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. And, and a big part of that is recognizing the purpose of it, right? So yeah. I think a lot of people lack that because they're like, well, I, tr I sprained my ankle, so now I can't run, so I might as well not even try. I, I completely changed the purpose and the parameters That's of right. what I was doing. So there's another story of a guy who was a super avid um, uh, extreme sports guy lost both of his legs in an accident and within literally an hour of waking up 
had huge smiles on his face. And the reason he could do that is because he changed his outlook of what his new purpose was, right? Like he, he was resilient enough to change the way that he looked at life. And now he's somebody who can motivate others right. to continue to push forward even after such an adversity, right? But, but we get so fixated on, like we don't stop and think to ourselves, why am I doing this? Why am I physically active? Why am I exercising? Yeah. What's the point of it? Does it align with those things? And right. does it align with the other aspects of my life? Um, and if they don't, I need to start to right. ask myself, why? That's right. Why am I doing this? So, no, that's awesome. So, so going back to the fitness, the absolute fitness, we talked about absolute sickness being that yeah. dependency and that in, in, incapacity. What is absolute fitness in, in a two or three word term? independence I mean you can do what you want to do I mean there's so there's a guy that I love and and Lucas can probably link in the in the show notes to it um, so Peter Atia is a physician um, who has a podcast and then he recently wrote a book um, and um, the the book's called outlive and and so he talks a lot about the centurion Olympics what he wants to be able to do when he's a hundred right <laughs> and so he says listen I want to be able to get on an airplane I want to be able to put my carry-on bag in the overhead container, and I want to be able to fly to go see my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, and get off and walk through the airport and go enjoy a vacation with my great-grandkids. I want to be able to pick up my two-year-old great-grandchild or great-great-grandchild when I'm 98 or 100. And so what do I need to do when I'm 80, and what do I need to do when I'm 60, and what do I need to do when I'm 40? to be able to be at that point later. And what it really describes is you're independent, right? You, you're not relying on somebody else for your daily activities. He's not saying, I want to go run a marathon when I'm 100. He's saying, I want to go see, fly, get on an airplane, go see my kids, yeah. you know, or something like that, or my great-grandkids. Um, and that's, you know, you take that for granted when you're 30, 40, maybe even 50 years old. Sure. Um, I can tell you that I don't, you know, I don't recover from a workout the same at 53 that I did at, you know, 33. Um, I can tell you I'm fitter at 53 than I was at 33. Um, but um, it requires some thought to yeah. that, right? You have to recover, you know, well, and you have to temper your, your workouts. Um, the, uh, the the key is just, can I just live the life that I want to live? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just being independent. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and uh, what I love about that, too, from uh, Dr. T is, it's not just that, like, is picking up your two-year-old, you know, great-grandkid really, like, super important? Well, it could be emotionally, too. Could but, be, yeah. but, it, but it also aligns with, like, what else can you do if you can do that? Correct. Because everything else in your life you can handle. Because if you can pick up a 40-pound thing. Correct. Right? And a lot of people, they get so, like, because I, I work in a phys, the physical space a lot, too, right? And so I work with you, like, young female athletes who are doing overhead presses and they're doing the bar and five little pounds and they look at that and they go, oh, it's so tiny. And I said, think about your daily life. How often are you taking something 55 pounds Put over your head. and putting it straight over your head? Yeah. Rarely, if ever. No. Most humans, right? Yeah. Regardless of if you're a 13-year-old girl or you're a 65-year-old yeah. man. And so it doesn't take much because I could get almost every human being... Other than, you know, barring that they have a horrible impingement of something in their shoulders. But I could get almost every human being, for, if they're over the age of 13, to lift a 45-pound bar over their head within a couple weeks. Sure. No trouble at all. Yeah, right. Right? It doesn't take much to nope. be able to live that quality of life. 
but if you're just consistent with it, then that's it right. just becomes it just becomes a part of who you are. That's right. right? And and you can get into you know <clears throat> a little bit more in the weeds from a physiology standpoint too. Um, so you know the VO two max is so important, so important. And like just as basics, right? So sit in a chair, just to sit in a chair and have this conversation. I need to have a VO two max of four or five mm-hmm. to be able to do that, right? But to walk into this building, I need to have VO two max probably of eight to ten. Mm-hmm. To walk upstairs to get in here, I probably had to have VO two max of somewhere around fourteen to seventeen, somewhere in there. So you can kind of just think about these basic things in your life. Um, and the same thing is applicable from a strength standpoint. It's so important that you maintain muscle strength. And you know, as you know, there's two kinds of muscle fibers, slow twitch and fast twitch. Mm-hmm. And you can get into the details of the fast twitch. But as you don't use your fast twitch fibers, you lose them. But the beauty of our body is you can take a 70-year-old individual and you do a biopsy of their quad muscle and realize they have nothing but slow twitch. All their fast twitch 2As and 2Xs are gone. And you could train them for 12 weeks and you can then re-biopsy the same muscle. And now they've started to generate significantly more fast twitch fibers. And the fast twitch fiber is what's going to keep you from falling, mm-hmm. right? You're, you can walk all day because your soleus is all slow twitch but you can run or jump because your gastrocnemius in your calf is mostly fast twitch. And so what makes us fall is we lose our ability to move quickly um, and our balance gets off. We just trip. You just trip. We all do this. We trip over a curb or something like that. Yeah. But because you have good fast twitch muscles and some balance, you can regain your balance without doing a face plant. Correct. I see people every day in the ER that are 70, 75, 80, 85 years old who tripped over the same curb I tripped over and they couldn't even get their hands up. Yeah in front of their face to keep their face from plowing into the concrete. Yep. Right? Or if they put their hands down, they had absolutely no ability. No strength to to keep it from face planting, right? And it's because they've lost so much of their fast twitch fibers. And if you're over the age of 65 and you fall and break a hip, you have about a 20% one-year mortality. So there's a 20% chance you'll be dead in the next year. If you're over 75, you have a 50% one-year mortality. So just because you fell and broke your hip, but it's not that the, the fracture didn't do it. It's not the hip break that did it, right? It's the fact that you were immobile for a longer period of time. You're in a nursing home. You got pneumonia. You got, you know, muscularly deconditioned, cardiovascularly deconditioned. All these things happen very quickly. You get deconditioned much quicker than you get conditioned. Yeah. Um, and so not falling is so important. And if you do fall, if you've maintained good muscle mass and you've been doing weight-bearing exercises then your bone density is also going to be higher. So if you do fall, you maybe bruise yourself up, but you don't break your hip. Correct. Or you don't break your shoulder yeah. or something like that, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, and that is so, so important. And, you know, you don't think about that when you're 35. Sure. You know, you just you just don't. You're like, yeah, I fell, but I caught myself, Yeah. you know, or whatever. You don't, when you're 80, you don't catch yourself. No. Your face hits the concrete. Correct. Well... Most people don't because you can. You can, right? Because yeah, yeah there, if, if you've stayed fit, yeah. absolutely. If yeah. you've stayed, you know, stayed strong and you've maintained your muscle mass and all those things, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. but most people don't. No, unfortunately. No. Um, you see that you see this huge change in individuals over in third world countries or places that um, squat regularly. Yeah, like they squat to toilet. They squat to eat. Sure. You look at. Um, you know, Vietnam, where they, they literally will you'll be sitting waiting for a bus in a squatted position. Yeah, it's a resting position for yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. And and we all had it. We lost it with That's the right. advent of chairs and, and things right. like that. I'm still working on a stand-up podcast setup. Uh, but the Or cross-seated on the ground. Yeah. Um, Kelly Starrett, in his book, uh, Built to Move, talks about floor sitting. So, like, yeah. just get up and down off the floor. Because even yeah. that daily 
gives you the strength you need to absolutely get up and down off the floor. So yeah. the practice is in the metric. That's right. So, but anyways, their 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 instance of hip disease is drastically low, like three times as low, because just for the simple fact that they use their hips like that yeah. all the time, and it, so it just takes practice, daily practice, not even exercise. We talk about exercise because we do it and right. love it, and we we're invested in it. But it's just daily activity. That's right. It's, it's, it's Move. squatting down, it's standing up. It's sitting on the floor, it's getting back up on right. the floor. It's walking 8,000 steps a day or more, right? right? Um, but that's a tr- tremendous book, Built to Move. If you're the type of person who does, because they even say throughout 90% of the book, don't, let's not even talk about exercise. Let's just talk about physical activity. And 8,000 steps a day is one of the goals. Um, 800, milligram, or 800 grams of vegetables and fruits is one sure. of the goals. Sure. Um, sitting and standing is one of the goals, right? Yeah. And at the very end, he's like, look, Exercise is good. Yeah, like it's not going to hurt you. Right. And, and if you look at so if you look at every pill, you I don't care what you pick, barring a chemotherapy agent sure. for cancer, right, or penicillin for strep throat, sure. right. But we're talking about a pill for your diabetes, your your cholesterol, your high blood pressure, any of these things. Every pill, there's no medicine we've ever invented in the history of medicine that even comes close to addressing the reduction in all cause mortality as exercise does. It isn't even close. Yeah. I mean, we're talking orders of magnitude higher. Yeah. Exercise is the most important thing you can possibly do to have a longer and healthier life. Yep. Number two is probably diet. I, I was going to say, I was going to flip it, but yeah, I would say they're both up there. You, you, you can, there's a saying sometimes in, in the fitness world, mm-hmm. you can't out-exercise a bad diet. That's actually probably not true mm-hmm. if you exercise enough. Because mm-hmm. the things that happen by the way your body processes the glucose, the insulin resistance that happens, um, that that uh, can offset to some degree a bad diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I would challenge that most people probably aren't willing to put that much work in. But they're not. There are some people that are ears are perking up right now because they're like, I just heard a doctor say I can outwork my poor diet. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to yeah. look for you more You better do a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're going to be yeah. looking for that That's link. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing to think about, that many people don't do this. I've had this conversation with my dad a hundred times in the last six months, is that you have to try to stop thinking about food as a social and or gratification interaction and think of food as a fuel source, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't have to taste bad. Sure. You can have good tasting food. Mm-hmm. I'm not arguing that. But what I'm arguing is think of it as what am I? What fuel am I putting in this machine, sure. which is the most complex machine ever built, right? <clears throat> and our, our body can do a, amazing things. Man, it's got a great filter. Like, you don't die because you eat three Big Macs, right? Um, If you eat three Big Macs, you know, regularly, you're going to die sooner, but it's still decades, right? Because our (laughs) body's so good at trying to mess up, you know, try to fix what you've messed up. Yeah. Um, But think of it as fuel. Yeah. You know, do I put a good fuel or do I put crappy fuel into my car? Sure. Try try to put it. You're not going to put nasty old 10-year-old fuel in your, with a bunch of preservatives in it, put good, clean fuel in your yeah. car. And that's one of the challenges I think a lot of people have is, again, that disassociation between physical and, and the emotional wellness, yeah. right? Because so many people connect for good reason, because it's easy to connect something that breaks the blood yeah, brain barrier right. to emotional responses, that's right? right? Like I, uh, when I was little and I went to school and we did something good, I got marshmallow. 
Yeah. So why do I love marshmallows? Yeah. Because I associate them with something good. Yeah. Um, sugar tastes good. It Absolutely. Brain barrier, right? Caffeine tastes yep. good. That's yep. why drugs are so addictive is because they, they, they make you feel connection. good. Dopamine I mean, release. Yep. yep. And so, yeah, it's, it's very challenging to do that. Um, and that's one of the struggles I had for a lot of people is like, well, I'm not willing to give up food that I like. It's like, okay, I can see that. What are you willing to give up? And if we took that conversation long enough, what am I not willing to give up is time with my kids. Well, the right. choices that you are making with the food that you are eating is taking away 5, 10, 15 right. years with your kids. Right. Very valuable years, yeah. to be honest, uh, if you build a great relationship. But that's, yeah. that's social wellness. Right. We'll talk about that in a different podcast. Um, yeah, very powerful. So when you think about the attributes that you're measuring to determine where somebody is on the spectrum, whether it's sickness yeah. or it's, it's fitness. And I, and I want to get a little bit more nuts and bolts here, like actual things that yeah. are measured with tests, with yeah. surveys, with whatever. What are you measuring to determine people's so, sickness or fitness? So if we talk about the four horsemen again, uh, and the two biggest ones that are so easily preventable are metabolic disorders and diabetes and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, mm-hmm. ASCVD. Um, and in the, in the world... And certainly in America, the number one killer is atherosclerotic coronary vascular disease, yeah. right? Make it simple for some people. Um, so you have, you have um, plaque buildup in your coronary arteries um, or in the arteries in your brain, and you end up having a stroke or you have a heart attack, basically. Yeah. Um, and that either kills you um, or it certainly can debilitate you, yes. right? If we did a few things uh, correctly, and I say we, I mean as individuals, people, um, and, and we as in healthcare, um, we could take um, ASCVD out of the top 10 of killers in the United States. Um, but it requires some things, right? It requires um, exercise. It requires not smoking. It requires not developing diabetes. Um, and it requires treating uh, lipid disorders down to a lower level. When you're born, you know, we talk about HDLs and, and LDLs, mm-hmm. right? And good and bad cholesterol. And we could literally spend an hour on the fact that that is probably, it's just a, such an oversimplification. Sure. It all came out of a study in Framingham uh, in 1978. Um, and it was looking at, you know, kind of people with their HDLs and LDLs and did they have heart attacks, did they not have heart attacks? And we basically said, oh, you have more HDL and you didn't have as many heart attacks, so it's good cholesterol. Yeah. Um, and remember, HDL is high-density lipoprotein. LDL is low-density lipoprotein. Fat, cholesterol, is not a dissolvable molecule in liquid, right? So just like when you have a greasy pan after you have, you know, you cook and you put the Dawn dishwashing soap in there and it bubbles and it breaks up and emulsifies the fat, right? So fat does not transport through a liquid media very well. So our body's super smart and we made high density and low density lipoproteins to bind to the cholesterol molecule, which shelters the cholesterol, the fat molecule, and it can transport through the bloodstream that way and get delivered to the liver or wherever it needs to be delivered to. Um, but any, on any given day, or you could have a cholesterol molecule that's in an HDL molecule, and then later that day, a cholesterol molecule could be the same one, could be in a VLDL molecule or an LDL molecule. It, it, it just interchanges between the transport medias. Think of them as like, you know, trucks on the, semi-trucks on the freeway, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, but we follow lipids. Um, and what is a more accurate way to look at it is what are called apoprotein B and apoprotein A. Bs are the bad ones, the VLDLs, the LDLs, and As are the good ones, the HDLs. Um, and when you're a neonate or a child, your Bs are exceedingly low. I mean like 10, you know, 20. 
And as we age, they start to go up. Um, and some of this is to some degree genetics, um, but to some degree it's, it's diet and exercise that, that does that. So following somebody's and, and controlling somebody's lipids, which if you can do it with just diet and exercise, wonderful. Um, probably the most recent data suggests diet might not make as big a difference as we thought at one point in time, but they're still working on that. Um, <clears throat> but if we can control the bad cholesterols, you're less likely to get deposition of plaque or cholesterol on your artery itself. Um, and thus you're less likely to have a heart attack or a stroke. Um, and then with, with, you know, metabolic disorder or insulin, uh, issues and diabetes, you know, let's keep it simple for folks. There's two big kinds, right? There's type one diabetics who are essentially going to be born that way. So they, they don't come out of the womb that way, but sometime in their early childhood years, their pancreas no longer makes insulin. And so if it doesn't make insulin, then you can't process the glucose and your glucose goes too high and you're diabetic. Type two diabetics, their, their pancreas makes insulin, but they're insulin resistant. So if you ate a, a meal, you ate a sandwich, and your glucose goes from, let's say, 80 to 200, well, your pancreas senses that, <clears throat> it releases insulin, and the insulin is the key to let the glucose into the cell. So think of it as you're in a, a long hallway with like a hotel room or a hotel with a long hallway and a bunch of hotel rooms, right? I need the key to open the door to let the glucose into the cell because the glucose is required to make energy for the cell, ATP. Um, and so what happens is, as you become insulin resistant, you go from needing one key to two keys to three keys to four keys. And so your pancreas is like, okay, I got to chuck out more keys. So it's making more and more keys all the time. But eventually your pancreas is like, dude, I can't make any more keys. Yeah. Like this is all I got. Yeah. Right. And that's when you end up needing either oral medications or supplemental insulin that you go to the doctor for and we give you to try to lower the number of keys you need <clears throat> or just to provide you with more keys. Um, but the problem with that is, is that that's all an, an avoidable thing. We can take somebody who is going to develop diabetes, who's insulin resistant in the beginning or pre-diabetic, um, and we can fix that if we just simply control two things, what they eat and how much they move. Um, because exercise in and of itself is almost like a free key. It just opens up the rooms for you and the glucose gets to go into the cell. Now, I used to think, and I think we in medicine probably used to think this for a long time. I would be sitting in a room or a restaurant and I would look across the room and I'd see a, an overweight person, a, you know, somebody that's just, you know, 30, 40, 50 pounds overweight. And I'm like, oh, they're, they're diabetic. They're, they're, they're heavy. They're overweight because they're diabetic. Mm -hmm. It's actually the other way around. They're actually diabetic or they're overweight because they're diabetic. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, is the cell that is the least dependent on the insulin key is the adipose cell, mm -hmm. the fat cell. So you in ingest more calories, more, more energy. This is all an energy equation, more energy than you need. And so your body's like, okay, I'm going to store that for later. It gets back to evolution. If I'm only going to eat once a week, if I'm going to eat a whole bunch, I need to store some energy for when I'm not eating. Yeah. So here we go. We open up the keys and in goes the, the calories, the glucose into the adipose cell, which turns it into fat, which is why fat has more calories per pound than protein or carbohydrates do. And so then later when I'm not eating, my body can mobilize that fat, turn it back into energy, and I can move and hunt my woolly mammoth if I want to. Yep. But um, we're never not eating. 
Exactly. <laughs> right. We're never not eating. So there's this endless supply of food that we aren't burning through enough unless you're, you know, Michael Phelps training for the sure. Olympics or something, right? Yeah. And so as a result, you become heavier, you become fat because you have started to develop this insulin resistance and it's not going into your cells as much. That's why, and probably everybody will now start to notice this and they look around, I can't help but do it when I'm out. So when you see that classic person who's in their say 40s or 50s and they have a massive core, a big trunk, they're just very, very heavy in their abdomen and their chest, but they have skinny little legs mm -hmm. and skinny little arms. I refer to that as apple on toothpicks, right? <clears throat> that person is most assuredly insulin resistant mm -hmm. and probably diabetic. Mm -hmm. they're, they're somewhere on the continuum. And the reason is that the actual skeletal muscle cells in the legs and the arms are the ones that require the most keys to put the glucose into when you're not exercising. And so you start to actually get atrophy of the muscular tissue and your body starts to look for more places to store fat. Mm -hmm. So in fact, you even start to store fat within your muscles of your legs and your arms, yeah. not just in the subcutaneous area underneath the skin. And so you can look at these people and you'll say, oh my gosh, apple and toothpicks, that person is either insulin resistant or they're diabetic. All of this is completely avoidable. Um, we try, the metrics we look at for these things are something like hemoglobin A1C. So you can do a glucose. You can just do a, go to your doctor and get your blood checked and you know, check a glucose, sugar level, right? So if you have a fasting glucose, you've not had anything to eat for six hours and your glucose is greater than 140, you're probably diabetic. Mm -hmm. If you have a, a not fasting glucose greater than 200, so you've eaten in the last six hours, then it, and it's still greater than 200, you're probably diabetic. Mm -hmm. um, a hemoglobin A1C takes an average of your glucose for 24 hours a day, an average over the course of three months, the last 90 days. So we, to be fair, one of the reasons this was developed was doctors would take care of diabetics and the, the diabetic person might have a sugar of 250 most of the time, but for the two or three days before they come in to see the doctor, they would be really good about taking their mm -hmm. medicine or their diet and they come in and have a sugar of 120. And we're like, ah, you're killing it. You're doing good. You're, you're not, it's not bad. Sure. But your A1C happens to be 8.4. Yeah. And so a normal A1C is somewhere between, call it 4.7 and 5.6, somewhere in there. When you hit 5.7, you're pre-diabetic, all the way up to 6.3. And at 6.4, you're diabetic. Now, <clears throat> the other problem with that is these are averages on blood that, that has been drawn across the country. In a country that is overwhelmingly obese and overwhelmingly pre-diabetic or diabetic. So our normal acceptable ranges are actually skewed to the sick side sure. and not the healthy side, sure. right? But we still use it. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing you can look at, and some of the things that I follow on myself and some of my other patients, are your actual insulin levels. So if I know your glucose, let's say your glucose is 100, you should only need an insulin level of about 2 to maintain a glucose of 100. Now, we say an insulin level up to 14 to 16 is okay, but if I need an insulin level of 10 to maintain a glucose of 100, or I need an insulin level of two to maintain a glucose of 100, clearly I must have insulin resistance if I need a glucose or an insulin of 10 mm. to maintain the same glucose. Mm -hmm. I needed more keys to let the people in the door, sure. right? So that's actually a good measure. Now, do most primary care doctors look at this? Nope. Yeah. Nope. Guarantee you. They're not ordering insulin levels on Who people. Does? 
Um, so uh, functional medicine doctors, longevity doctors, they look at these things. Okay. Um, they'll look at insulin levels relative to your glucose, your hemoglobin A1Cs, all of these kind of things. Your primary care doctor does che- check your hemoglobin A1C. The downside is most primary care doctors don't check your A1Cs until you're much older in life mm-hmm. and you're probably already down the road of diabetes yeah. um, versus checking it. It should be checked annually. Sure. I mean, you, uh, even in your teens and 20s because I have so many overweight kids Mm -hmm. now, right? I mean, not too long ago, I had a six-year-old who weighed 196 pounds. There is a 0.1% chance that kid is not, that person is not going to be diabetic before they're 20. But 30 years ago, if you were diabetic before you were 20, you were type 1 diabetic. Mm -hmm. Now you could be a type 2 diabetic and you could be 18, Mm -hmm. right? Because of the, you know, the, the diet, the lack of exercise, the insulin resistance, and the subsequent diabetes, right? Sure. So we should check these things early yeah. on people and follow yeah. them regularly. But we do a bad job of that. Sure. But we could get into, you know, I mean, you could get into a lot of, de- of, of discussion on why the system is built the way the system oh, is sure. built, right? Yeah. I mean, the system is built for you to be sick. Mm-hmm. It just is. Sure. All well, the drug companies make money. Yeah. What what business isn't built upon customers that want their product though? Right. Correct. Like that's and so that's well. Where, here's better. They don't want it. They need it. Yeah. Exactly. They need it to live. Correct. Yeah. And so that that's that's where I get frustrated with people who you know poo poo on the medical business. It's like if if you go to a gas station and you need gas, they're probably gonna sell, sell you gas. things that's like they're gonna sell gas, yeah. right? They're probably also gonna sell car related types yeah, of items. Right. Uh, and they're gonna market to people who are probably low on gas, yeah. right? What's the biggest sign you see in the desert when there's a next, gas station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. next gas yeah, station right. is how many miles, yeah, right? right? Like, yeah. so, so we can't really be mad for a company. Now, granted, do they take advantage? Sure, absolutely, sure. right? Um, but we could either get mad at them for right. selling their product right. or we could do the things required to not need Correct. their product. Correct. And that's medicine 3.0, right? We currently practice medicine 2.0. Mm-hmm. I need you to be sick and then you come see me and then I'm going to give you a pill sure. or two pills. Sure. And then by the way, one of those pills is going to have a few side effects and I might need to give you another pill yeah. for those side effects. And the next thing you know, my dad was putting his medicines for the month into his little pill bottles the other day, right? He, he had... 20 b- bottles of pills yeah. on the table, right? Putting it in there. Yeah. And it's not like he's on chemotherapy or has cancer or sure. something like that, right? Um, that's not uncommon. People your come see me in the ER all the time, and I'm like, you know, do you, do you have your med list? Or, you know, do you know what meds you're on? Hopefully they have a list. Because sometimes I see people that are on 40 medications. And I'm not talking about like vitamin C and vitamin D. I'm talking about just 40 medications, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and they're 53 years old. Sure. And so you talk about even just financially... Oh my what does gosh. that do to you, right? So like, okay, yes, let's talk about, let's let's get over, I don't like to exercise for a second, say, do you like to be able to afford the things you want? Right. You can't do that when you're on no. that many medications. No, you can't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. So so to wrap it up, because we went down a rabbit hole there, which I love, it yeah. was awesome, but to like, to, to squeeze that all into like a, a sentence or two, yeah. what things are people, what should people go and get measured yeah. to help them better understand so, if they're fit? So you should definitely know what your cholesterol profile looks like. Um, and when you go get your cholesterol checked, they're going to check your total cholesterol, which should be less than 180. I'd like it to be less than 160. Mm-hmm. Your triglycerides, which should be less than 150. I'd like it to be less than 120, but these are the norms. Your HDL, which I'd like it to be greater than 40, but it'd be nice if it was 50 or 60. Your LDL, which I'd like it to be less than 100. Um, 
it's probably going to be a little higher than that in most people, yeah. and you'll get a VLDL, and that can vary in some folks, but it okay. should be a lower number, like 20 or 30. Um, if, you're, if your doctor's really on top of it, they'll actually check your apoprotein A and your apoprotein B. That's a much better uh, indicator of the types of cholesterols you have. Okay. If we're talking about diabetes, at a minimum, you have to have a hemoglobin A1C, and you have to have a glucose. <clears throat> I would like it if you had an insulin level as well. If, you, if we know your insulin level relative to that glucose, that tells me a lot about your insulin resistance, right? Um, those are, are some of the biggest things. I mean, most 65% of the people in the country have low thyroid. Um, and so following somebody's thyroid, um, and most primary care doctors will check one blood test and one blood test only, which is the thyroid stimulating hormone, which if it's normal, okay, fair enough, but it still may not really tell you the whole picture. Yeah. You should get much more detail. You should get the thyroid stimulating hormone, uh, what's called a T4, a free T3, uh, a thyroid panel to look at that because the thyroid is responsible for almost everything. Mm -hmm. um, it plays a role in how you digest food, your muscle metabolism, your brain metabolism. There's so many things it does, right? Um, super important. Um, obviously, your weight is important. Um, the, the, and specifically, um, there's subcutaneous fat, there's visceral fat, right? Visceral fat is the worst. That's the one that's directly correlated to both developing diabetes and also developing cardiovascular disease. Sure. So but you to clarify, to, you, you're not losing visceral fat on purpose. You can't point lose visceral fat, right? No. You, as you lose fat, you will lose visceral fat. Correct. Correct. Right. Exactly. Um, so knowing your weight, your BMI, these are important things. Now, the BMI is not the end of the end all and be all, right? You could have a dude that's, you know, six foot and 220, but he's jacked mm -hmm. and it's all muscle, right? Yeah. Um, so the, these are the, some of the important things that your doctor should measure on you um, so that we can kind of figure out. And you can get into, obviously, even much more detail than that. But those are your basics. Yeah. Those are things that you really should know, uh, any individual should know. Yeah. Awesome. Mark, as we wrap up, is there anything you want people to know as they're listening to that either you're doing? Obviously, I'm going to be doing a shout out to Pure Regenerative Medicine because that's the opposite end of the people yeah. that you're seeing in the sickness space. But anything you want them to know, anything you want to share as we head out? Yeah, no, I mean, it, a lot of this just takes, you know, personal accountability and personal responsibility. The data is out there. And if you can't get the data, come go see a, a functional medicine doctor or a regenerative medicine doctor to start talking about some of these kind of things. Because people, physicians that go into that versus your standard sick care, they're actually truly invested in you trying to be healthy and live longer. Um, and so if you're not getting that from your primary care physician and that's what you want, A, I'd suggest you just look at your primary care physician. Do they look healthy and fit? Because if they don't, maybe that's not who you want to choose as your primary care doctor. Um, because once again, if they don't care enough about themselves or have the knowledge base to affect their own health, why am I trusting them to take care of me exactly? Um, so that's one of the first things I look at. If my doctor doesn't look relatively fit um, and healthy or you know, he or she smokes or they're overweight or whatever, probably not choosing that doctor. Yeah. Um, but there's doctors out there that you can go see. And like you said, you know, we, we do some of this at Pure Regenerative Medicine. Um, here in town, we do a lot of like hormone replacement therapy. We look at a lot of these labs, these metrics we talk about. Um, we do other things to try to get you to avoid surgery. Like if you tear a rotator cuff or something like that, we'll use platelet-rich plasma and inject it and try to get it to heal. Um, so there's, there's some things you can do that aren't what one might consider conventional medicine. Um, but I hope in the next 20 years or 30 years that it actually does become more conventional medicine yeah. because economics works, right? Supply and demand. And if the people want to actually be healthy and not be sick, 
then if that's what the demand is, then the industry will provide that. Correct. That's awesome. Yeah. Mark Estes, appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, As no always, thanks for coming in. Yeah, no problem. Anytime.